Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Amen. You can have a seat, church, family. Um, I don't know how people do it after singing as a worship leader. They're <laughs> just kind of like, all right, I think I could, I could go home with that now. Um, the ways that God moves and, and speaks in, the, in those times as we sing, um, it's really powerful. And so I'm just, I'm super happy and excited and humbled to get the opportunity to share with you all today. And the closer that I get with this church community, this family, um, in the last eight or nine months here, I'm always like a little iffy on the amount of months, but the closer I get to all of you, the more connection and love I feel for all of you and um, who are the people that we call Horizon West Church. And uh, we're in week three of this series, What Would Jesus Pray? What Would Jesus Pray? And, And so we've been learning a whole lot about how Jesus taught us to pray. When he said, pray like this. And today we'll be praying the Lord's Prayer together a couple of times, the beginning at the end. Um, so as a community learning and growing together, I just want to invite you to pray this aloud with me right from where you are. And we're going to see the words up on the screen and let's say this prayer together as Jesus taught us to pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Amen. Today we're going to uh, talk about the provision of God, the provision of God, how he's our provider. We're going to focus on two specific requests of this prayer as we've been working through the Lord's Prayer. Pastor Chris started this series in the beginning, and then Austin last week talked about the kingdom of God and asking his will be done, his kingdom come. And so today we're going to focus on this next part that says, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And as with just about every time that I taught a message, um, I feel like God has spoken so much to me that I needed to hear for my own life. And so if it even ended before I shared this with you, I feel like God's already been doing a work in my heart. And so as we talk about God's uh, provision today, more than anything, I'm praying for you that God would, would illuminate how much you can trust him and remind me of that as well. And that you would believe in a God who is able to meet all all of your needs. I pray that we would walk out of here with the confidence in a God to meet, uh, who meets our daily needs, our physical, emotional, spiritual, relational, um, giving us the spiritual needs like forgiveness and the ability to forgive others. 
And so this is where we're headed today as we dive into this request. I'm going to kind of split it up into four parts. Um, I want to break it down just in a way that we can fully understand what we're praying when we say, give us today our daily bread. First, the recipient. Who's the one that hears our prayer? I think it's important that we come back to that, right? Who is the one who hears our prayer? The content. What should we ask God for? What do we need to be asking for? The beneficiary. Who benefits from our prayer? And the effect. Finally, this very important question, how does our prayer matter? Or does our prayer matter? Does it make a difference? It's a very important question. So we're going to start off just talking about our Father, the recipient. Who is the one who hears our prayer? It's God, our Father, our Father. The first week of this series, Pastor Chris, he shared about a good father who wants to give good gifts to his children. We're his children. And last week, Austin, I love how Austin reminded us and shared that this statement, our father, to start a prayer like that was so countercultural because we wouldn't ever, you know, they, they wouldn't have referred to God as Abba, Father, as a, in a childlike way, in such an intimate way. It, it felt a little bit like different outside of the norm to say our father in this way and begin a prayer that way. But in doing this, Jesus helps us to understand the nature of God who hears us as a loving father. And when we ask our Father to meet our needs, what's true about our Father? There are a few things that are true about Him. First of all, He is aware. He is aware. What is true about our Father? He's aware. God is concerned about your concerns, and your needs matter to Him. In Matthew 6, it says, Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And not only is He already aware, right? He already knows what you need. But he listens to us when we express our needs, right? So he's anticipating your needs, which is incredible. But he's, he's listening to you when you express your needs to him. And in Exodus 3, I love how it reflects that. It says, Then the Lord told him, told Moses, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. When we cry out to God, he's aware and he listens to our request. Not only that, but God is also accessible. That's what's true about our Father. He's aware and accessible. God welcomes us, you and me. And this Almighty God, it, it just, just mystifies me that the Almighty God, the maker, ruler of heaven and earth, is accessible to us. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. Sometimes we tell ourselves this, this lie that we shouldn't bother God with our needs, that maybe these are too, too uh, just trite for him to, to observe, but that couldn't be further from the truth. Jesus clearly invites us to bring our needs to him when he says, come to me all who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And through Jesus, we have access to the Father. And this is how scripture says it. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit, because of what Christ has done for us. And earlier in that same letter, Paul's describing the kind of access that we have to God. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. It gave God great pleasure for us to have access to him as a child, as a family member. And so when I say accessible, I'm not just talking about, do you ever do this where you pick up your phone and scroll through the contacts? Like, man, why do I have so many? Oh my goodness, I can't 
believe I still have that person's phone number, right? And it's not just I have this person's phone number access because what happens if you call them up? They'll probably, what, click or not answer, right? And, and it's not just, just a, I have God's phone number. No, this is access. I have access to someone who truly cares for me and invites me into his family. So when I call, he's not hanging up. He wants to hear from us. He's accessible. Scripture tells us in the book of Hebrews that we can access God with confidence. And it says, there we will receive what? Mercy, his mercy. And we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Our Father is accessible, and when we approach him, he responds with mercy and grace. Third thing about our Father is that he is able. Our God is able, aware, accessible, able, and he's more than capable to supply every single need that we have. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That says God's not short on supply. His riches in glory. He's not overwhelmed by the amount of need that we have for provision. He's able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power at work within us. Scripture says that. And not only is God able to provide, but he's also able to forgive. God is provider and forgiver. So our Father, he's aware, accessible, able, and finally, he is compassionate. He's compassionate. And I want to take this moment to formally apologize to Pastor Rick and Baptist preachers everywhere who couldn't come up because I couldn't come up with another A. You know, just this aware, accessible, able, and compassionate. But that's the thing. This is, it's the word. This is what I, what I want to share and communicate today, that God is a loving Father who has compassion on us. That's what we need to know today. In Psalm 103, it says, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions, our sins, our wrongs from us. Amen? Man, I am so grateful to God that he's removed my sins from me as far as the east is from the west. He's compassionate. He's gracious. He's slow to anger, abounding in love. So these are the things that are true about our Father. He's the one who hears our prayers, our Father. And we can trust in the unchanging nature of God, our Father. Um, and often here at church, we'll sing this phrase, great is your faithfulness, right? We sing it in, in a hymn, great is thy faithfulness. We also sing it in, in a couple of other songs. And that means that we're recognizing that God is true to who he is, to his character, right? He remains the same as what we, as what we would ex- expect for him to be based on scripture and what scripture says about him. He doesn't change like shifting shadows, He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And when we turn to him, he's like a rock and a fortress where we can find shelter, where we're not shaken to the core by the storms of life. So I I feel like that's such an important starting point to start with, who are we praying to? Man, prayer can be a, a, um, just, just something that's like, man, how do I start? How do I begin? How do I know where my words are going? And we start by saying, we're speaking to our Father, who's accessible, 
He's able, he's aware of your requests, and he's a compassionate God. So knowing that, what's true about the content of our request? What should we ask for? What should we ask for? And the content of our request is give us today our, would you say this with me? Daily bread. Oh, I just noticed the note said give us this today. I'm not, I'm not ashamed of that. Um, give us this day our daily bread. And uh, our daily bread, what is our bread? What is our bread? Bread represents our basic needs for living our lives well. Basic needs for living our lives well. This is part of the Lord's Prayer that has these echoes of Proverbs 30, verse 8, where it says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. My daily bread. And so if we have a good sense of who our Father is, the recipient of our prayers, then we start to see God as a source of our life, right? We're building on that foundation. He's our true food, our wealth, our happiness. And this kind of contentment in our provider, it's an antidote to what we would experience on either side of the spectrum that this scripture says, on poverty and riches. On the one hand, we're trusting God to meet our needs, and and that's an antidote to this anxiety of scarcity or this fear of not having enough. Anybody ever been fearful of not having enough at the end of the month or beginning of the week? Fear of not having enough. On the other hand, it counters our temptation toward greed and hoarding of wealth and power. And we don't have to grab for things because we have access to the one who can supply all of our needs. We truly believe that. Both can be temptations in this context of our our modern uh, capitalist society, right? Fear of not having enough for tomorrow. Um, Anybody remember the great toilet paper scare of 2020? Yeah, I see some nodding heads. All right, that wasn't just in California. That was here too. Uh, the great toilet paper panic of 2020, the shelves were empty. And, and uh, so bo- both can be temptations, this fear of not having enough for tomorrow, and this unsatisfied greed for more, right? And our contentment in our Father can be the antidote to both. To say, God, I know that in you I have enough because you're able to supply my every need. So what is, if we know what bread is, what is our daily bread? What is daily bread? I love this paraphrase of a verse that says it this, of the verse that says it this way. Give us today the things we need today. Give us today the things we need today. And the emphasis in this request is on provision today of what we need today. Food for today. Financial means for today. Peace and comfort for today. Patience and compassion for today. Boldness, strength for today. Wisdom and discernment for the decisions of today. The message paraphrases an earlier part of the same sermon uh, that Jesus was giving in, in, this, in this way, in the following way. It says, steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. This is hard. Uh, God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Give us today our daily bread. Give us today the things we need today. 
Austin and Chris and I, we've been talking about this uh, book together as we've approached this, this series um, by Dallas Willard called The Divine Conspiracy. So you might have heard us walk, uh, mention him a couple of times, Dallas Willard, but I love how he describes prayer as talking to God about what we are doing together. Talking to God about what we are doing together. And I love that because prayer grounds our requests in our real lives, right? In our real needs, talking to God about what we are doing together. It removes the ego from it. We put, we put our attention on what God is doing, and we walk with Him in our real lives. And Willard goes on to say it this way. He says, requests will naturally be made in the course of this conversational walk, a walk with God. Prayer is a matter of explicitly sharing with God my concerns. This is what I'm concerned about, about what He too is concerned about in my life. And of course, He is concerned about my concerns. Remember, He's aware and in particular, that my concerns should coincide with his. So he's shaping our concerns, right? This is our walk together, and out of it I pray. Isn't this a beautiful picture of relationship with a father? If you ever ask yourself, I am, uh, you know, I, I don't know what to pray. Am I praying for the right things? Am I asking God for the right requests? I've been there. And this is a great reminder not to, not to worry so much about saying the right words, saying the right things, because time spent walking with God will shape your heart, your desires, your concerns, what to ask for. So that's, that's give us today our daily bread. That's the content of that request. The other part of this request is this, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And I'll take a little pause here for, for just a, a, a short story, but my, my wife and I, we met at Rollins College. She's over there. We met at Rollins College, and we studied music together there. And uh, my freshman year, we had every Christmas, we had this thing called Vespers, Christmas Vespers at Rollins College. It was a service where we'd sing in the choir, and I remember that first, that first Christmas was magical. We were just, we were just falling in love. It's beautiful. But when I think of that Christmas, I think of that, and I also think of the Lord's Prayer, because during that Christmas service, um, we, would, we would say the Lord's Prayer. It was in the program. would just say the title, the Lord's Prayer, and then it'd say in parentheses, using debts, using debts. Um, and I thought that was funny because they just assume people know, like, know the Lord's Prayer, but we're going to do this, this version that says you, that's debts, right? And how many of you have, have ever heard or prayed the Lord's Prayer with, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, right? I see hands all over the room, okay? So using debts, they were really adamant about that. And we, if, if you, if you heard that phrase, trespasses, trespass against us, that's a lot of S's, right? So in the room, we're saying, you know, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debts against us. It was just a cacophony in that moment of S's and debts and all that, all that kind of stuff. People trying to follow the rules and people who were just like, nah, I'm going to say it my way. That's how, that's how I know it. But it's, it's just a good reminder that it's not, about, it's not about saying a precise magic formula, right? Even though we get married to some of those words. But we're working through this principle and the principles that are in this prayer as Jesus teaches us to pray. And so the forgiveness part, it, we could have a whole series on forgiveness, but if I could pull out one primary truth out of the passage, you'll see it up there. It says, as God has forgiven us, so we should forgive others. As God has forgiven us, so we should forgive others. And 
the good news about God's forgiveness is that, you know, I shared about a God who's compassionate. And as you can see, a lot of the content of our prayer for provision is informed by God's character and who he is as a compassionate God. But another reality is that we're broken and we're flawed individuals, right? We've done wrong against God, against other people. God is a merciful God, but he's also a perfect and just and righteous God. He does not stand by in the face of evil and injustice. And so as Christians, our faith declares that Jesus Christ, he took the weight and the blame of our sin on himself when he died on the cross. And the hope that we have in this, the hope that we have that gives us reason to live our lives for the purposes of God, is that that same Jesus who died for our sins, he's the one who rose from the dead. He rose from the dead once and for all. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He overcame our broken condition of our humanity. To what? To inaugurate the reign of God in this world and in the one to come. A kingdom in which there will be no more sorrow, no more death or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. That's the good news. That's good news. And we're ushered into this kingdom by the forgiveness of God. Forgive us our debts. But Jesus didn't do all of that just to make us individually reconciled and right with God, right? It's not just vertical. Look at what it says in Ephesians. It says, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, what I just described, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Separated who? Us from God? No, us from others. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. Super clear, right? Jesus came and he died and rose again to reconcile us to God. And that is incredible news. And we rejoice in that because we're made alive through Jesus Christ and through that relationship. But he also died and rose again to reconcile us to one another. Despite ethnic, cultural, national differences. So when it, when it comes to forgiveness and reconciliation, the entirety of the good news doesn't just end with God forgiving us individually. No, God also reconciles us to one another. So as we have been forgiven, God calls us to forgive others. In Matthew 18, Jesus teaches this story about uh, a servant, a servant who owed the king massive amounts of money. And one modern translation, English translation, says millions of dollars, all right? So think of it in those terms. And he begs the king for time to pay this, to pay this off. And um, he begs him for time to pay it off, and the king just decides to fully forgive his debt. And so this man walks out from being forgiven fully from millions of dollars of debt and goes straight to somebody else who owes him a few thousand dollars, is what this translation says. And he puts him in a chokehold. He says, where's my money? He demands this man's money. And when that man asked him for some time to pay it off, the man who'd been forgiven by the king has this other man thrown into prison. Clearly, that's a terrible thing to do. So when the king got word that the man he had shown forgiveness to showed no mercy 
to someone else who owed him. He said these words. He said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And the man who had been forgiven is thrown into prison to suffer until he can pay off his debt. And Jesus concludes his teaching by saying, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. In a similar way, he ends his teaching about prayer in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 by saying, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. These are strong statements, right? This is, it's a hard teaching. So does this mean that we're no longer saved by uh, sa- saved if we harbor unforgiveness? I, I don't believe that for a minute, no. Because the book of Ephesians says that we're saved by grace through faith in God and not by our own works and the things that we do. So new life in God, it comes from faith in Jesus Christ and not by an act of forgiving others. But what is he teaching here then? If you harbor unforgiveness towards others in your heart, you are incapable of receiving the kind of forgiveness of God that leads to a sustained an intimate relationship. Chris shared with me this image of you closing your hands with unforgiveness towards others in your heart, and you're not able to receive the forgiveness of God with your calloused heart that leads to a sustained, intimate relationship with God. Unforgiveness disrupts this conversational walk with God that I talked about earlier. Why? Because the heart that's hardened by lack of unforgiveness will hinder our ability to genuinely confess to God our sins, right? And so the way that Jesus teaches us to pray and ask for forgiveness leads us to reflect our own relationship with other people. Are we compassionate towards those that have wronged us? Would we really want God to forgive us in the same way that we have forgiven them? And if the answer is no, then we can ask God for provision in that too. Lord, Help us to forgive, to have compassion. We can reflect his forgiveness and compassion. So as God has forgiven us, so we should forgive others. The beneficiary, who does our prayer benefit? Our prayer benefits not just me, it's us, not just me. And it says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. And there's a clear emphasis on us and we in this request, me and the others around me. So we're praying both personally, God, help me, and communally, help us, God. And in a culture that's known for rugged individualism, it can be easy to neglect this communal aspect, right? But we have to ask the question, what does it look like to pray for the body of Christ, his church, for us as a unit? What does it look like to pray for our neighbors? Martin Luther, you might know that name. He's a great church reformer and theologian. And I found this interesting that he, he found the social dimension of the Lord's Prayer to be very important. He believed that to pray for all to receive their daily bread is to pray against exploitation that crushes the poor and deprives them of their daily bread. Only makes sense, right? He even warned those who prayed this prayer to take care that this petition does not turn against them. So when we pray, are we looking only to our own interests? Are we also looking out to the interests of others? The last aspect of this prayer uh, that I want to share is, is the effect. The effect of our prayer. The effect of our prayer. How does prayer matter? 
How does prayer matter? You guys with me so far? All right. How does prayer matter? Prayer matters because it forms our character. It forms our character. Bethany Huang, um, director of the International Justice Mission, she said this, We might know in our heads that prayer and other spiritual disciplines matter, but more likely we pursue prayer more as a half-hearted occasional duty rather than as a God-given relationship and power undergirding and fueling all of our action. And last week, Austin, he reminded us that prayer is, uh, prayer is not a dead ritual. It's a relationship. It's a relationship with God. So prayer forms us in these ways. It teaches us how to walk with God and how to know Him better. It teaches us how to ask God with faith and with persistence, continually asking. Chris talked about this in the power of requests in the first week. Asking our Father with persistence and with faith. Bless you. How, it teaches us how to trust Him over the things that we're tempted to trust more, like our bank accounts, or our skills, or our willpower, or our achievements. Prayer forms us. How else does prayer matter? Prayer matters because prayer moves God. Prayer moves God. And I feel like this led me to a huge question that was like, I don't, I'm not sure if I want to answer this this week, uh, God. And he was like, no, please, by all means, go ahead. So this question is, can our request change God's mind? Can our request change God's mind? It's a big question, right? It's a huge question. We see this, we've asked ourselves that before. We see this actually happen in Scripture. In the book of Exodus, the Israelites turned away from God and began worshiping idols. Right after he'd given them these commandments and they said, God, will do that. And two months, less than two months later, they built up a golden calf and they started worshiping that instead. And God was like, I'm done with you. I'm done with you, Moses. I'm going to start over with you. I'm wiping them out. I'm done with the Israelites. We're going to start over, and we'll continue this covenant here. And Moses prayed and spoke with God, hoping to move him and to change his mind. It says in Exodus, But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? He's accessing an accessible God. Turn from your fierce wrath. Change your mind and do not bring disaster on your people. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he had planned to bring on his people. Can I be honest with you? I, I've struggled with this in my own prayer life. This week I've had to ask myself that when I pray for God's intervention in my life, do I really believe that my prayer matters? That it can, it can change things? That it can help things? And sometimes, you know, saying your will be done, that, that prayer is, is a vital posture of surrender to God's will and to what his plans and purposes are. But if I'm honest, sometimes I've said the phrase, if it is your will, as an insurance disclaimer, unsure if my request can actually change the intentions of God. I've just been like, God, this is what I want. If it's your will, I'm just throwing it out there. Um, but Willard's perspective on this, on the power of prayer has been helping to strengthen my life and my faith, as I, and I want to share some of his words with you. He says this, says, God's response to our prayers is not a charade. It's not a charade. He does not pretend that he is answering our prayer when he's only doing what he was going to do anyways. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. God is great enough that he can conduct his affairs in this way. His nature, identity, and overarching purposes are no doubt unchanging. But 
his intentions with regard to particular matters that concern individual beings are not unchanging. This does not diminish him. Far from it. He would be a lesser God if he could not change his intentions when he thinks it is appropriate. Have our prayers and our practices of prayer been reduced to dead ritual? To dead ritual. Because we don't believe that it moves God. Do we need to awaken to the fact that prayer matters far beyond religious repetition? Because that same God who prayed to Moses for mercy on his people, he's the God that we call out to. We just sang about it. He's the same God. He heard his children then. He hears his children now. Prayer truly has that power to prompt and to move the heart of God. So we've, we've done a deep dive into these requests, and I want to close with this as we, as we learn to pray for God's provision. One of the names associated with God is Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh, he's our provider. And when Abraham, in Genesis, when we hear about Abraham sent on an impossible mission, impossible task, that would result in the death of his son. And he trusted in those moments that God would still provide a way to fulfill the promise of making him a father of many nations, even though his only son would be gone. And he said to his son, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And when God spared the life of his son, Abraham named that place Jireh. The Lord provides, Jehovah Jireh, in remembrance of the one who knew the desires of his heart and who provides for our needs in every situation. And so I want to ask you, how do you need God to provide for you today? What provision would you ask God for today in your life? Have you been thinking about God as a loving father who is able to meet that need, who's able to meet all your needs? And will you have the confidence and faith of Abraham as you make this request to God? Because he is Jehovah Jireh. He is God, our provider. And we can trust in him. We can trust him. Let's pray together. God, would you teach us to trust you for our daily bread? We bring our needs for today before you, today. And we pray that you'd forgive our sins and revitalize and renew our relationship with you, God. Fill us with your compassion so that we, in turn, we can forgive others as you have forgiven us. God, help us in this conversational walk with you. We don't want anything more with just rituals for repetition's sake because it's just what we've always done. God, we want a real, living, active relationship with you. Knowing that you're with us and that we can trust you to provide. That's our prayer, God. And all together, I want to invite you to stand as we practice this conversational walk with God and say the Lord's Prayer aloud one more time as a church family that he would meet our needs. Would you pray this with me? Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread 
and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.